Welcome to NetSmart Care Threads, a podcast where human services and post-acute leaders across the healthcare continuum come together to discuss industry trends, challenges, and opportunities. Listen as we uncover real stories about how to innovate and improve the quality of care for the communities we serve. Let's get into the show. Well, hello, everybody. I mean, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm going to be talking with you today about discovering your path to value. My background and experience, before you go thinking this is just a, a technology uh, presentation, I spent 17 years in community and public behavioral health doing a variety of different roles from frontline services in intellectual and developmental disabilities and mental health and addiction recovery, as well as a variety of senior and executive level leadership roles across the gamut of what possible positions can be held in an organization. And in doing that, it is giving me a a breadth of experience of the different areas of operations, the different areas of service delivery, and it's different areas of need that each of the organizations that I've worked with today actually have because I've experienced it myself. I've spent almost four years now with NetSmart serving as a director in their strategic and advisory operations as well as a virtual CIO. And the majority of my time is working with organizations that provide support and services both in community, residential, public health, to help them strategize and achieve the business model and needs of their organization that they're trying to get to. And today, I'm going to be focusing my attention on helping to walk through how an organization can define their roadmap for success, what the core foundational requirements need to be for crisis and management planning, considerations when you're optimizing your processes and your tools, and identifying your organizational gaps and the best practice solutions that you need to follow in order to get yourself on the right track. So one of the things before we dive in that we really want to talk about, though, is what are the driving forces right now? What is it that we're all facing? We're all in a new normal right now. The pandemic of COVID-19 has brought to the surface things that we knew potentially were there, we just didn't necessarily know how challenging it was going to make things. You see headlines across the news today of people not really having a strategy to deal with the uncertainty of how are we going to provide our services, not having any type of backup plans when their fundraising events that our nonprofit providers depend so heavily on can't happen the way that they're accustomed to happen. When we have crisis plans that were all about how we respond to a crisis in our community, but nothing about how we were going to handle it when we we're actually a part of the crisis. I had a CEO the other day tell me something that was just really eye-opening to me. And she said, Danielle, we were so prepared to respond to the front lines of anything that happened, we never in a million years realized we weren't prepared when the crisis actually hit our business, that we weren't going to be able to continue our operations in the way that we were accustomed. We were great at responding to things when our, our public needs us. We weren't so great when it came to actually planning for our own sustainability when we are being hit and we are being challenged in the day-to-day. So we have this new normal that we're dealing with across our industry and across our service providers, and all of us are dealing with it in a little bit of a different way. Some of us are faring a little bit better than others, and others are really struggling trying to figure out 
how do I deal with the treatment gap that was there, the new challenges that were facing us as it is as providers and kind of changing how we do business, and the reality of the situation that we're in right now in our country of I now have to expedite my plans and my thinking about what a new normal is when I cannot continue my service delivery model in the ways that have been the ways we've always done it. And so we're in this point to where innovation is starting to happen. I see great things that are happening, but we also see struggles that are starting to come out that are evidence of things that were foundations of an organization's business that were really not laid very well. They were not in place in such a way to where they could weather what is happening and respond to not only things like what we already deal with with the treatment gaps, but also deal with a crisis at the same time, which is only going to perpetuate that problem based off of what we're hearing compared to what it may have been uh, even before the COVID-19 pandemic. So what is our roadmap of success? What do we need to do, whether we're in crisis mode now and we're just having the realization of we were not prepared as a business and you're seeing all of those gaps and those holes and those dysfunction and now you're trying to figure out how do I function out of this dysfunction? What is our, our roadmap? How do we actually get to a point to where we are successful and we know we're going to continue to be successful regardless of the shifts in our market or regardless of the changes in how we have to do our way of life or how we have to do our business as we move forward. As I've had the opportunity over the last several months and years in my my role with NetSmart and what I do on a day-to-day basis, one of the things that I spend a lot of my time doing is working with executive teams of organizations and common questions that, that are coming up, and they're great questions that should be asked, is how do we achieve organizational and operational stability and agility at the same time? How do we make sure that things are stable, that we can continue in a level of safety, security, and comfort, but at the same time be agile enough and flexible enough in our operations, our business, and our resourcing that we can shift when we need to shift and not lose that security and sustainability? One of the common things that comes from this question of what's really prompting that question has to do with an organization that has moved into a new funding stream. Maybe they have had a service delivery model change, or even they've had key staff that have been in their organization for a really long time that left, and just by that one staff member leaving, it resulted in catastrophic chaos for their organization that they're still trying to recover from, and they're now trying to put steps and foundations in place to to overcome that. Other questions, how do we put changes in place for our future without creating disruptions in our present? That's a big question that's happening right now of how do we keep things normal for our staff in recognizing that we need to look at what our future state is actually going to be because we know that what we are experiencing right now is going to lead to a new normal. There will not be a time where we just go back to how it was, and that's the thinking and the questions that these executive teams are asking. Other questions, great questions of what are we missing? What is it that we don't know that we don't know? If you're in a position right now and you're not asking that question of what are we missing, you really should be asking that question because it is a question that you should be asking because what has occurred over the last uh, several weeks in our nation has forced a lot of our partners and providers out there in the community services world and behavioral health sector to realize that what they were missing was stability 
and foundations that they could actually shift to doing those same operations, just doing them in a different location in a different way, and they missed it. They thought they were fine, and they're realizing they're not. Are we on the right path at all? This is a common question. What is our path? How do we assess whether or not we're actually going down the right road or the things that we should be doing right now and to know that we're actually on the right path? And then a big one that many of us are dealing with today is how do we prove our value? Not just our value from a standpoint of, hey, we do a good job and, and we're needed, but how do we prove our value from a, a standpoint of that everything that we're doing, we can demonstrate that it's the right way to do it, that we can demonstrate that it has meaning and that it has purpose, that we can demonstrate to our stakeholders and to our funding sources and, to be honest, to our, our government that we make a difference in how we do things and we're worth continuing these services and investing in our community. And then the other question that always comes behind that, you know, how do we prove our value is, hey, where's our data? Because you can't prove value based off of just saying, hey, I think we do a good job. That's wonderful that we think that, but we actually have to have data to back it up. And one of the things that became a, a merge with the electronic health record kind of moving in is, oh, we're going to have access to all this data. And then we have providers that are saying, I don't have any data. Why do I not have any data? And so they're, they're asking these questions, and they're great questions to ask. So the next step as you're, you're thinking about it, though, is, okay, I'm asking these questions, and they're wonderful questions, but how do we get there? How do we actually go from where we are today, no matter where you're at, how do we go from where we are today to either changing our dysfunction into actual function or preparing ourselves for the next crisis, the next change, and making sure that we're more stable in our foundations than what we found ourselves to be when faced with this crisis? How do we make sure that we're sustainable moving into the future and that we, we know that we can continue our operations in a way that we've proven to be the most efficient and effective? So how do we get there? Well, we're going to start, as we kind of go throughout our journey today, we're going to start by defining what the real need is. In order to reach your business's full potential, you got to know what is the real need. What should I really be focusing on? And I'm going to give you a hint. It's not just technology. Technology gets a lot of attention, and that's great, and it is an important investment, but technology alone will not get you there. As a matter of fact, I will say that's actually one of the common mistakes that people make is they think that the, the answer to the problem is just a technology solution. And we're going to talk through that. We're going to create, talk about how to create alignment across your core business needs, looking at it from an enterprise-level thinking, and how to use a process-driven approach to systematically review the current state from the consumer's perspective, from the client that's receiving your services so that you have a good model that you can sustain. Because the one thing we all have in common is that we're all in the business of providing services to people. And those services happen in a very specific way, usually, across our models. And so we want to make sure that you have a process that's actually driven based off of what truly drives your business, which is your consumers, your services, the people who you help on a day-to-day -day basis. But before we dive in, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about common mistakes and barriers. 
As I noted at the onset of the presentation, I get the opportunity to meet with organizations across the U.S., and in meeting with those organizations, I find some very common themes of challenges or mistakes, and to be honest, I've made them in my own career as well, so I can see them, and I can see the, the devastation that it causes when these things are not addressed. You'll notice kind of front and center on the slide there is silos. In behavioral health, and community-based services models, to be honest, we're used to an environment of silos. We may say that we believe in person-centered and integrated care, but how we operate our businesses sometimes on a day-to-day -day basis doesn't reflect that. We actually still work in these silos of mental health and addiction recovery or substance use or IDDD, focusing on the, the definition of a diagnosis and how we organize ourselves. We still see finance and billing way over here off to the side and technology in their own little area over there and our, our admin and executive leadership off in another area. And even though our model of service that we promote and say is person-centered and integrated, our method of doing business is not. Our day-to-day -day is not. We operate in silos with each of those different areas kind of doing their own thing, not recognizing how interconnected they are and that they're going to have to be if you're going to create a sustainable business model. Resource allocation dealing with things to where we're not properly resourced based off of the actual need of our organization. We're still believing that if we, if we pour just a little bit into our resource structure and we can kind of do a lot with a little that will meet the, the need and will bridge this treatment gap, that's not going to happen. The resource allocations have to match to what the business needs actually are. There are times when you need talent and you need talent to do a specific need. There are other times where you have to have frontline staff and they have to be readily available. And so the common mistakes and barriers we see is that people don't actually match their resource allocation to what their true business need is. Prioritization. Actually prioritizing things that make a difference and that matter for the future. It's easy to get wrapped up in what we're doing right now, in the here and now, and not prioritize some of the things that need to be planned out and thought out from a standpoint of where are we going to be this time next year or what's going to happen if we find ourselves in this situation. And to be honest, people just kind of fall things like uh, things like crisis planning, for example, they fall to the wayside. They feel We have a, an emergency response plan that's sitting on the shelf somewhere because a licensing body told us that we needed to have it, and so it's sitting there, but they're realizing now that what they wrote in that emergency response plan didn't actually cover their business needs during this time of crisis. So it's a barrier, it's a gap. And then a common one is also a Band-Aid approach where we know we have issues, we know we have challenges, we know we have silos, we know that we have problems with our cash flow and all of these different things. And so we're gonna Band-Aid approach this because the work to do what it will take to truly get us to a functional state on a day-to-day -day basis is just too much. We can't take time to do that. And what people are finding out now in the current state that we're in is that not taking time to do it has a very negative effect on their organization. And so I can't tell you over the last couple of weeks the number of conversations I've had with CEOs that have talked about how they wish they would have spent more time getting their core business foundations in place and not band-aiding things. When we're thinking about these common mistakes and these barriers, it's hard not to think about it from the context of our, our current 
situation with the COVID-19 pandemic. It's okay. Danielle, what are the foundations that do withstand a crisis like this? It's a very common question that I'm getting right now, and we're going to actually spend some time talking about this. Well, there are things like clearly defined processes. When I go to an organization and I'm interacting with them and I'll say, hey, talk to me about your, your process for achieving this, and they respond by giving an individual's name, I automatically know they have a problem because they've, defi- they've told me a process by giving me a person's name. Well, people change jobs all the time. So your processes of your organizations, your business operations can't be defined by an individual. They have to be defined based off of these are the things that have to get done, and they have to get done this way, and these are the types and roles of people that should be doing these things, not necessarily being defined by an individual person that happens to be employed by your organization at this time. What are the other foundations? Well, they have clearly resigned roles. If you have defined processes, one of the great things that happens is you can immediately assign a role to it. One of the best examples that I've seen of an organization that actually did this really well and was in the process of it, they've transitioned to a remote workforce seamlessly in the last four weeks that we've been dealing with this pandemic, and the way that they've transitioned so seamlessly is that everybody had their assigned role. They knew their process that they were supposed to be covering. The only thing that changed for them is instead of doing it from an office environment, they're now doing it from a different location. That's the only change that they had to endure because everything was clearly defined. They knew and were assigned what they were supposed to do, and in this particular case, they still carried that out, even doing it in a different way than what they were used to. Other foundations that are important, making sure that you're at the ready. If nothing has been proven over the last several weeks, that's been proven, that you have to have a foundation that's in place that allows for you to be at the ready to adjust how you're doing business and still sustain your day-to-day business operations. Knowing that what you do on a day-to-day basis is actually the most efficient and effective way of doing things. And then the last one that's key that a lot of folks overlook is understanding the need for cash flow management, the need for financial security in this. Most people, if I say cash flow management, they're like, oh, that's great. Yes, we need this. I want you to think about it from the context that there are nonprofits that provide important services to very vulnerable populations that are struggling right now because they don't have a plan in place to cover the large fundraising events that they depend on every single year to establish their funding to continue those services. And so when you think about foundations, you can't just think about how do we continue operations from a staffing standpoint, from a process, from a service delivery standpoint. You also have to be able to think about it from a standpoint of if we can't do this, what is our alternative so that we can continue to maintain our cash flow and our revenues? All of those make up the different foundations that an organization has to have to withstand any crisis that comes their way. The goal of crisis is to not necessarily do business as usual because it's not business as usual. But the goal in any crisis is that I can sustain myself and continue to do things in such a way that still makes a difference for the clients that I serve, even if I'm having to do it different, and I know I'm going to be okay because we have the right foundations in place. So how do you go about it, and what are the real needs? 
It's actually a common mistake that a lot of people look at technology and they look at technology alone and we, we operate in these silos, but the real need is actually looking at your people, your resource allocation, your processes, how we do things from a day-to-day -day basis, and then your technology, and you cannot separate the three. They are actually embedded and in, have to be looked at together from a strategic standpoint of operations because I cannot use my technology wisely if I do not have my process well-defined, and I cannot carry out my process if I don't have my resources well-established for meeting my day-to-day -day business needs. So the question that we ask when we're thinking about defining the real need and looking at our people, looking at our processes, and looking at our technology is always this. Are we effective? Are we efficient? And are we strategically aligned? Strategic alignment basically means that we know that the three of those areas, people, process, and technology, are all being looked at in tangent to help us move to our future state. A lot of times what organizations do is they'll look at their people and they'll say, okay, this is the number of resources that we need to have without spending any time thinking about what needs to change in their business processes or what investments they're going to have to make in technology applications to help facilitate their new growth. So we have to have strategic alignment. We need to look at things like overall security. That's been a big issue in IT just over the last several weeks as people have moved into a remote work item and security was kind of controlled based off of being in an office building. Now they're realizing, wait a minute, we should have addressed some things that we have never addressed and now we're trying to put foundations in place while at the same time responding to a crisis, and it's making it more difficult. Do we have data centers? What are our networks? How are we handling our end-user computing and the equipment and devices that they need? How do we prioritize what is important for us to do versus not doing? Are our applications actually meeting our needs? Do we have a really good structure of organization and governance that drives our change strategy? Do we have the ability to look at our people, process, and technology in such a way to know that they must be aligned because they are intertwined with each other. There is no way to separate them and achieve what we have to achieve as organizations moving into the future. So you may say, okay, Daniel, I get it. We need to define the real need. We need to focus on people. We need to focus on process, and we need to focus on technology. What does our thinking need to be? Well, remember I said one of the challenges of organizations is, this, is silos, is stating from a care perspective that we're integrated and person-centered, but from a business perspective, operating as if we're honestly different organizations in some cases or completely separated departments. As you're moving to defining your need, one of the things you have to be able to adopt in order to establish core foundations that are both sustainable and agile is to be able to have enterprise-level thinking, not siloed-level thinking, where you can look at four key business areas and you look at them from the broad global perspective of your organization. And those three key areas are your clinical and service delivery. Obviously, that drives your service models and what you do for your mission and vision of what you're trying to do to impact your community. Your revenue cycle management, your finance and billing, 
your quality and outcomes measures. If people say, hey, why is that a core business need? Well, remember, we have to demonstrate value, and we can't demonstrate value if we're not actually measuring and monitoring things that prove our value. So it's a core business need, and it has to be aligned from an organizational perspective, not at an individual program level perspective. And then the last area is data that we need to make business decisions. How do we know that we're ready to grow into a new service area? How do we know that there's even a need in that area versus potentially a need in another area? Those four elements are the four driving elements of any health and human service business across our nation right now. And we have to, in order to be on a path to success and to get there and really look at your needs, you have to look at them at the enterprise level, not the individual program or admin function level. When we think about the concept of enterprise-level thinking, we have to think about it from the concept of how do we create alignment between these different areas? Because they're all core business needs. So how do we make sure that between our clinical service delivery, our revenue cycle management and uh, finance and billing areas, our quality and outcomes monitoring areas, as well as our data that we need just to make business decisions, how do we make sure that they're actually all aligned with each other? Because if they're misaligned with each other, well, then we end up getting into all kinds of problems, and that misalignment between any of these four areas are going to create business gaps. And those business gaps are things that will prevent an organization from achieving what they are trying to achieve on a day-to-day -day basis. I can't tell you the number of times that I've spent time with an executive team and their statement over and over is that, hey, we, we just can't move forward. We can't figure out how to move forward to where we need to be so that we can improve our revenue, so that we can improve our staff satisfaction, so we can improve our service delivery model. And as I have the opportunity to work with that organization, one of the things that becomes very clear is that there's a lot of misalignment between those four key areas and there's gaps. There's gaps in things getting done from a process standpoint that are impacting them as an organization and preventing them from being able to move forward to where they are, to where they want to be. So when we think about gaps, I want to make sure that folks understand that when you have gaps in your enterprise-level process of clinical service delivery, revenue cycle management, outcomes monitoring and data needed for business decisions, when you have gaps in those areas, it will magnify your challenges. We all face challenges on a day-to-day -day basis. That's the nature of what we do. There isn't one organization out there that doesn't face some type of challenge. That's not unique to behavioral health care. But in facing those challenges, when we have gaps in our alignment across our core business areas, it will magnify those challenges. Examples, cash flow and missed opportunities for revenue. One of the things that uh, I work with organizations on is helping them, I, I mentioned before, having a cash flow plan, making sure that they, they are seamless in their revenue and understanding what sustains their organization. Many organizations are not-for-profit, and that is very true, but not-for-profit is a tax status, not a business model. And so you do have to look at it from a standpoint of how can we be sustainable because it is that cash flow and that revenue that allows you to actually continue to do those services. Without it, you cannot continue to deliver it, and no way will we bridge that treatment gap. The other things that the gaps between those four core areas will, will magnify is your client experience. 
we already know that clients have a hard time engaging in services. It's hard for a person that's dealing with a substance use issue to pick up that phone or to walk in that office setting. And if when they do, they experience a poor situation where things are disorganized, where they're asked the same things over and over and over again, where they don't understand what their next steps are, any number of things that could happen that could create this poor experience and as a result, turn them off to actually getting services and care. We've seen it across the board because access to services has been a, a major focus over the last several years in um, behavioral health care. And a lot of the, the studies that we've seen and things that have come back is that clients struggle just learning how to get into services and feeling like when they do get into services that they don't understand what they're supposed to do next or what was expected of them. So when we have these gaps, we also magnify these client experience challenges. The other is staff dissatisfaction. Now, not every organization is always going to have 100% happy staff, but when you already have challenges with staff satisfaction due to what they're trying to, to, the conditions they're trying to work with, the challenges that they face, and then we have gaps where the clinical staff are just trying to do the best that they can to serve the person that's in front of them, and the, the revenue staff on the back side of the house is, is yelling at them that they need to do more so that you can get billing out the door. When those things start to happen, we get an overall kind of magnification of the challenges of staff dissatisfaction that start to impede our ability to provide quality care. I say to people all the time, that if you really want to see evidence of your organization's dysfunction, try implementing an electronic health record system. And you will see the evidence of all of these gaps starting to, to come to play on a day-to-day -day basis, and you'll see how siloed you truly are as you start to go down that path. But we want to avoid having these gaps in place by making sure that we're taking an enterprise-level approach in our thinking. I'm going to pause a minute because I really do want to talk about, I picked on technology early, but I do want to talk about the understanding because technology cannot be separated from this. It's people, it's process, and it's technology. They all have to go together. So what do we need to understand about the role of technology when we're thinking about it from an enterprise perspective and thinking about it from a perspective of what do we need for our business? Well, the very first thing is it's not optional. If the COVID-19 situation has proven nothing else, it is proving that technology is actually essential for you to be able to carry out your business and your operations on a day-to-day -day basis. The number of providers out there now very, for the very first time using virtual sessions and telehealth as a means of delivering service is astounding. And what they're finding is, is what they were so afraid of was that it wasn't going to work. And what they're finding is it actually is working. They're having to adjust, but it actually is working. We would not be able to carry out business and service delivery models right now if it were not for technology. So the very first thing I want to say about that is we no longer live in an era where we can actually have person-centered, integrated care, improve our value, and still think that technology investments are optional. They're not. You also, though, if you're going to make those investments and recognize that they're not optional, technology has to have a return on investment. You have to be able to see that the tool is actually facilitating helping you meet a business need. You have to be able to see that the tool itself is providing you something that is benefiting not only your service delivery and your billing, but also those other two areas of core business. It's helping you with the data that you need so that you can run your business.
The other thing that we need to address is this technology myth. There's a myth out there that providers have a fear of technology. I don't believe that's true and that hasn't been my experience because every person that I've met across the U.S. has a smartphone in their hand or a computer that somebody has done or they're talking to me about a show they watched on Netflix or Amazon or, or anything like that. I don't believe that there's truly a fear of technology. There's a frustration with technology, and that is a real problem in our particular area that as electronic health records have been introduced into the behavioral health and human services market, that providers are frustrated, not out of a fear of technology or discomfort, they're frustrated because it doesn't work for them. It doesn't work to let them do their job and actually see that return on investment of what they're doing. And so as a result, this myth of fear of technology has been used as an excuse instead of just addressing the issues of the frustration and making sure the technology that you're picking and that you're using is actually right for the business needs of your organizations. If you take away nothing else from this session, take away this. When you look at your organization, you cannot separate your people, your process, and your technology. So if you've been doing that, stop doing it. As of today, executives make a decision, we're not going to do that. We are now going to look at ourselves from an enterprise approach, and everything we do, we're going to look at it from what is our resource that we need, what is the process we need to define, and what is the technology tool that we need to achieve this. So how do we do this? How do we look at it? from a process-driven approach, from an approach that actually makes sense for our world. We're not in a manufacturing world, so the best approach, the best model to follow in defining our processes is actually the flow of the clients through our services because that actually is what we're all about. So when we think about a process-driven approach, we think about the four key areas in which a client progresses through usually when they're engaged in services of some type. Point of contact, service engagement and delivery, their service process, progress and success, and then their departure from our services. Those are the four areas in which our clients generally progress at at some rate one way or the other through most of our service delivery models, regardless of what the um, particular market area is. When we think about our, at an enterprise level, our organization and our business, and we say, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take what is the progression of our patient flow, and now we're going to align what we need from a business perspective for our processes. We're going to look at the point of contact and first engagement, and we're going to answer the questions of who, what, when, where, why, and how, and we're going to do that from the clinical services perspective. We're going to do it from the revenue cycle or finance perspective, the outcomes that we're going to have to measure later on, and the data that we need for business decisions. So how does this work? Well, at the point of contact moment with a client, there's a lot of information that we need to have in order to actually start clinical services. We need to know their names in a lot of cases. That's, that's a really simple thing. We need to know why they're asking or seeking our help for our services. 
But in addition to the clinical information that we need, that's also the point to where our revenue cycle starts, to where we're going to have to collect payments so that we can continue to pay and support our business operations. So if the client, we need to know at that point of contact or first engagement, is this a client that has a payer source? If so, what is their payer source? Are they somebody that has a specific Medicaid plan versus a, a non-Medicaid plan? Are they an individual that is a child versus an adult? All of those things, all the way down to their date of birth, is very important for the revenue cycle, and we need to have it in that moment, in that point of contact moment, because if I don't have it there, if I move into the next stage, I already have a gap, because the next stage is service engagement and delivery where I'm expected to be billing for these services, and I can't bill for services when I don't actually know who the payer source is or where it's going. That created a gap. If that gap got created, I now have a delay in my cash flow because I have a missed opportunity in my process to capture that information. We continue on with the same example. At that point of contact and first engagement, there are also outcomes we're interested in. It's a trigger. We want to know that if we were able to get somebody in within 24 hours of when they requested service, do they have a greater chance of actually engaging in treatment and being successful in treatment? We have data that we want to know for business decisions. We want to know who's coming in our door. We want to know if when we open our same-day access clinic on Wednesdays, if we get the majority of our people presenting on Wednesdays. That's data I need to know for my business so that I can plan for my resource structuring of how I want to run my clinic. As we continue down, for each of these stages, when you're doing a process-driven approach, you look at it from the clinical perspective, from the revenue perspective, from the outcomes perspective, and from the data needed for decision-making for each of these different stages to make sure all processes, all data that you need at each stage is already clearly defined. In addition to that, you define who's responsible, what roles in your organization, not by name, but by job responsibility, what roles are responsible for carrying out these specific processes at this particular stage of the client's journey and progression through our services. So then you might ask, okay, if we take this process-driven approach and we invest the time, energy, and effort, how does this relate to our technology? Well, it's simple. Because the best uses of an electronic health record, no matter what product that you choose to pick, is when your processes can actually be facilitated by that tool. And it can be facilitated by that tool in such a way that you've met your goal state, which is that I know that I'm efficient and I'm effective. I've proven to myself that I can actually carry out this process, that I can leverage this technology tool through my EHR and achieve my need, and I know that I'm leveraging this tool to such a degree that I am actually getting a return on investment out of it. I don't have it just sitting there doing half in paper and half on the system. I don't have my providers going multiple different places to do different tasks within a system with no rhyme or reason to it or process being followed. When you think about this from the context of how it all maps back, you have to think about it that EHRs, an electronic health record tool, should be driven based off of what your business needs are and your business practices are. The tool should help you facilitate executing those processes and executing them more efficient and effective, not dictating what your practices should be. Some folks get that a little backwards, so I like to spend some time doing it. So what do I need to look at? Well, 
what functions are needed within your EHR in order for the system to achieve what your business need actually is. And then as a caveat to that, does it actually create a positive user experience and still meets all of your business needs? Staff satisfaction and adoption is a big deal. So we need to make sure that anytime we define our process that we map it back to what the proper functional use of our EHR has to be to ensure we could carry that process out in the most efficient and effective manner. That's how you know you're getting ROI. I promise you, if you will address your process in this way and look at it from an enterprise approach and map it to how you're using your system and making sure your system has the capabilities that it actually needs to match your business needs, you won't have to argue of whether or not you're getting return on investment. It'll be clear. You won't be asking, where is my data? Your data is there because you thought about that as you were actually getting things set into your system to begin with because you know you have to collect that data at that stage of progression in the client's journey through your services. So here's your success factors. One, you got to get your processes well-defined, and you got to get them properly mapped to your EHR. If your EHR cannot handle your needed business processes that you've proven meets your business needs, then you probably have the wrong EHR, to be honest with you. You've got to be able to use it as a tool to facilitate the need, and it's got to be something that you can prove is efficient and effective and that you can immediately see the return on investment. Resources. Your resources have to be tied to business needs. We all think about resources that are related to our clinical service delivery, and that is important because that is actually what drives it. But one of the things that's become very important and very clear over the last several weeks of, of everybody dealing with this crisis is we can't have a situation where we have an underprepared IT staff. We can't have a situation where we have IT staff that do not have the right skill sets in order to support our business in this new normal. We can't have a situation to where we don't have the right layers of staff within our organization that truly match to our business model in such a way that if one staff leaves, it doesn't catastrophically impact the sustainability of our organization. We also have to look at our technology. We have to look at our technology investments and we have to see it as a part of our overall strategy. And it has to be sponsored. Not sponsored just by IT, that's actually not a good idea. Sponsored by the executives as a whole that your people and your process and your technology all go together. And so when you're thinking about your strategy, your planning for your next year initiatives, your next three-year initiatives, and how you want to conduct yourself or grow as a business or what service lines you want to go into, that you understand that the technology is also a part of that strategy. It cannot be left off the table. And honestly, the use of it has to be a part of your overall strategy. How are we going to leverage these tools in order to effectively run our business? Governance. In order to have success, you got to have governance, and it needs to be cross-functional. There should never be a case to where technology should be driven just by IT or where finance should be only dictating what the clinical staff should do. There has to be an overall governance of the organization to say, hey, these are our defined processes that we know are aligned that we know matches to how we want to conduct ourselves and, honestly, the culture that we want to create as an organization for how we want to operate. And because we've agreed to this, we're going to govern this from such a degree 
that we're going to make sure that as we need to move, as we need to make changes, we're not going to do anything that would crumble our foundation because we put these foundations in place for a reason. We put it in place to where, you know, we didn't just have one person that knew how to do this because that's not a solid foundation. We put all of these decisions in place around how we were going to utilize our EHR on purpose because it needs to drive our data that is so crucial to our business both now and in the future. And we're going to maintain those foundational operations, but we're going to do it with a governance. And that governance isn't going to be just driven by one part of our organization. That governance is going to be driven by the alignment of those four areas of our organization organization in such a way that we sustain ourselves and sustain our business model. And then last but certainly not least, that we have a culture, a culture as an organization to where not only is the following of our processes, the use of our technology expected, it's also measured, meaning that it is a key indicator even of our own personal success in our jobs. I can't be a high-performing clinician in this day and age and not actually follow process and use technology of the organization that's achieving their business needs. So we facilitate a culture to where it's expected that we operate underneath the processes that have been defined and proven, and to be honest, it's measured that we make sure that it's actually a part of our day-to-day existence and accepted into our day-to-day world. If you can get to this, you will be successful because I've seen it countless times of organizations making this their number one priority is to get their foundations in order, think about things from a strategic level of enterprise thinking, defining their processes, assigning their roles, and leveraging their technology, recognizing the marriage between their people, their process, and their technology. And as a result of it, they're striving and thriving today, no matter what struggles are hitting them. At NetSmart, we understand the challenges facing provider organizations. Our team will help you navigate changing value-based care models with solutions and services that make person-centered care a reality. We'll equip you with technology and services that provide holistic, real-time views of care histories that inform better decision-making and better outcomes. Visit us today at ntst.com. NetSmart, serving you so you can serve others. Thanks for listening to the NetSmart Care Threads podcast. Through collaboration and conversation, we can work together to make healthcare more connected than ever before and better support the communities we serve. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.